A Supreme Court of Canada unanimously struck down life without parole for mass murderers on Friday. This came down during the show on Friday, and I really didn't have time to unpack it. I really wanted to spend some time with this, and I could think of no uh, better person to have on the show to, to unpack it for us this morning other than Joseph Newberger, who's a criminal lawyer uh, with Joseph Newberger and partners and friend of the Kelly Cotrera Show. Joseph, good to have you back. Listen, when I first heard this, immediately my heart sank for victims' families, because I know this is going to be very hard for he- to hear for them. But um, all mass murderers sentenced to life without parole under uh, 2011 law will now be entitled to a chance at release after serving 25 years. This was a unanimous decision made by the Supreme Court of Canada, highest court in the land, on uh, when on Friday, rather. Why did the Supreme Court rule in what seems to be in favor of mass killers? I think that's what people really want to know. I think it's the messaging, which is the issue, because um, it's being framed, uh, and I'm not blaming you, but partly in media and also by certain politicians, that this is in favor of mass murderers, that it is, you know, that a mass murderer will, you know, one day be back out on the street, and that's just simply not the case. So it's the framing of the decision. So I think it's important to understand it's a unanimous decision, the Supreme Court of Canada. This is a very... um, well-respected bench across the world. And in Canada, and like other Commonwealth nations, we have certain principles that we uphold under the Charter, which is the right to be free from uh, cruel and unusual punishment under Section 12. And that means that anybody convicted in offense will have um, some chance at release at some point in the future. It doesn't mean that they will be released. It's just a chance. So it is a principle that we uphold across the board for people who are found guilty of offenses. And, you know, it's a contrast to the United States where people like to see sentences of 100 years or 200 years, which is essentially meaningless. And um, really, it it doesn't mean much. So in a case of mass murders, where we have multi-victim killings, the individual sentenced to life imprisonment. So under the current law now, because of the Supreme Court of Canada, only at the 25th year will they be able to apply for parole. Mm-hmm. But the chances of a mass murderer getting parole at the tw- at 25 years, 26, 27, 28, 29, is infinitesimal, if not non-existent. Well, let me ask you this. What is life imprisonment in, in Canada? How long is that? Life it's life. It's the rest okay. of the person's life. Because so, I thought it was like a um, a year, an actual set year. But no, uh, it's not. No, that's it's not. that's okay. the that's the framework of this. So it's twenty five years to life. So that means if a person, let's say it's let's take a case of a a, a first degree murder, but it's not uh, unfortunately multi victims. Thank God it's not multi victims. Right. It's all bad. Let me just say it's I go, all bad. Listen, okay. I think everybody knows that you're not. Yeah. yeah what yeah. you meant by it's, that? Mm-hmm. Um, so. At year 25, they could apply, and if the circumstances of the case were of such and the person's rehabilitation had gone exceptionally well over 25 years, the person may get parole uh, in year 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, or 30, and then for the rest of their life, they're on parole with very strict conditions, Um, but they're never off of a life sentence. If there's a breach of those conditions, they go back into jail. Um, it is very, very infrequent that anybody who's convicted of a first-degree murder gets parole. It happens, but it's very infrequent. All right. And where we have mass casualty events, um, there, there is little to no chance, in my opinion, 
especially when we talk about the horrific murders that were, first of all, the one in Quebec, which was the impetus for this appeal. And then we have Mr. Manassian, who's coming up mm -hmm. uh, for sentencing. These are these are people who are never going to see the light of day. Yeah, I think the victims' families, though, feel slighted by it. Can you uh, speak to that? I understand that um, one of the victims' family members, Linda Babcock, Cock, a different. She was not associated, I believe, with uh, the Bisonette case, but wrote a letter to a member of parliament on Friday afternoon um, and said, how are we ever to prevent multiple murders, if not with stricter sentences? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, that's a fallacy. So if you look at the Manassian situation, this individual didn't think at all about what a jail sentence would be to prevent him from committing a horrific crime. What motivated this information, this person was, you know, unfortunately, probably mental health issues and mm -hmm. evilness, pure evilness. And when you have people commit particular hate crimes, they're motivated by pure hatred. So they don't think at all. So if you have somebody who hates other individuals, you know, or by religion or race or whatever, they don't take a criminal code, flip through and go, oh, my God, I could get right. 40 or 50 years for this. It is an absolute fallacy to think that sentencing is a deterrent on these types of crimes. It is not. You have exceptional individuals who commit these crimes because they are just exceptionally bad people, and they don't think about the consequences. And maybe there's all sorts of motivating factors, and many which are psychological and sometimes mental health related, but it's, it's not a question of them looking at a criminal code or thinking back on some decision and going, yeah, 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 no, I could get 40 years. I won't kill five people today. It's, does, it's just not realistic. Yeah. How does this change uh, parole eligibility for people that have committed uh, second-degree murder? Nothing. It's still the same. Second-degree murder is still the same. This was just a provision brought in by the conservatives to appease the public and get votes, and was brought in simply for where you have more than one uh, person killed, that you can then stack parole and eligibility. That's it. So if convicted of second-degree murder, it's a minimum of 10 years uh, and upward. And then you can fix parole ineligibility for a second-degree murder at 12 years, 15 years, or 20 years, uh, depending upon the facts of the case. And, um, you know, if there are other aggravating factors at play, parole and eligibility can be increased significantly. So this came in in, in uh, 2011. Uh, this case... Alexandra Bissonnette's case um, just challenged it. Are you shocked that this hasn't been challenged until now? Well, no, because I think part of this is that, thank God, we have very few mass casualty events in Canada. And everybody should take pause and think about that for a moment. Why is our country safer than the United States and other countries? Well, because we have many policies in place that support human dignity that provide, you know, very strong basics, including health care, education, mental health support. We also don't have a crushing sentencing system or criminal justice system that is basically uh, resulting in over-incarceration. You know, we have issues with disproportionate um, groups in our community in the jails, and we need to look at the social factors. But we have a much more enlightened system in Canada. And, because, and although we are a population close to 40 million, uh, so far less the United States. We have a much better social structure and general understanding of what, what, what a country we should be. And that's why, thank God, we don't have those types of events. You know, I could, in the last decade, you know, we have had extremely few uh, mass casualty events.
This ruling apparently is in line with international human rights standards, and that is uh, important when you're talking about uh, the way our criminal justice system operates. I think in Canada, what we want to do is make sure we are, uh, we, you know, we're in line with, with the international community where human rights standards are concerned. You, you raise an excellent point, Kelly, because, you know, that's why I say our Supreme Court is, you know, not only well-respected, but well-recognized over the world. And we have, you know, our model of sentencing was the model for the International Criminal Court. And, you know, um, The Hague and other jurisdictions um, look towards Canada. Our jurisprudence is carefully reviewed in other countries. So we are a beacon of, of fairness and justice uh, in the world. And that's extremely important when we see other regimes and other countries that are quite closed and autocratic and we see really no democracy and we see all sorts of harm. So I think as Canadians, we should be proud of who we are. We, we have sadness uh, for these victims mm-hmm. and we will always feel bad for them and want to care for them and help them in every possible way. But this does not diminish the loss of their loved ones. In fact, everybody uh, has the same concern for them. These people will be behind bars for a very long period of time and likely will never, ever get out of jail. Joseph, thank you so much for making sense of this. I think it's it's been a, a very big story. I think it's hard for a lot of people to come to terms with what was uh, ruled unanimously by the Supreme Court of Canada. It's it's hard to wrap your head around when you're thinking of it from the perspective of, of emotion, but it's nice that you can break it down for us. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure, Kelly. Take care. Have a good one. Joseph Newberger, criminal a lawyer with Newberger and Partners, and also has a podcast called Not On Record.